raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Look who is here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Former Mr. Basketball, standout Center Grove, Golden State Warrior rookie, IU standout, will not be present at Center Grove West to watch Rick Clark shoot air balls tonight. Uh, <laughs> Trace Jackson Davis joins us. Big fella, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We miss you down there. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, so- hard. it's hard not to be playing. I mean, like, watching them and just knowing that I had another year but at the same time, you got to go. So, what what have you seen out of this IU team? That I mean, obviously you were there long enough and did so much to know. Besides the obvious output you gave and and Hood Shafino gave, what are some of the things yeah. they're missing right now that you would like to see? Maybe they add and they can add within the team that they have right now. Um, I think they have a good core, um, a solid group. Um, obviously, you never know who's going to leave, what's going to happen, but um, definitely need another guard. Um, that's definitely high on their list. But um, other than that, I think that core, they definitely have what it takes. to. I think they're a lot better than what they've been showing. I mean, obviously, X goes down again. Um, Malik gets hurt. Khalil gets hurt. They haven't had really a full deck, so I don't really blame Coach. And obviously, me losing me and Jalen Miller race, it's hard. That's that's tough to do. You lose four scores um, in the Big Ten. So, but I think yeah, the guard guard play definitely, especially not knowing what's going to happen either transfer portal or recruit someone. So. But I think that's the highest thing that they need. I know that you're concentrating as a rookie playing at Golden State on the road all the time and, and honing your, your craft. But uh, have you noticed here, especially recently, all the heat that's coming on on your coach, Mike Woodson, in Bloomington? Is that something you do notice that comes along yeah, with the noticed, territory of I dropping mean, games? I, I, I get it. Um, at the end of the day, that's just it's Indiana in general. Um, the thing is, you can't really – you can't build something – if you fire someone every two to three years, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. And so I'm not, I don't think he's that worried, honestly. Um, can't, especially if he makes a tournament twice. I mean, we were second in the big 10, second or third last year. We made the tourney twice. We're one game away from the big 10 championship tournament game. And then, yeah. So like, you can't just, He's put on – he's done what he's needed to do. But obviously in a down year, next year is going to have to be big. But I think that they'll regroup well. So Trace Jackson Davis, rookie Golden State, Golden State in town coming up on uh, Thursday against the Pacers. How's that going to feel to return home, family, friends to watch on Thursday? Uh, you play at Gambridge Fieldhouse. Oh, it's going to be great just being at home, um, seeing the fans, seeing my family, seeing everyone – being in familiarity of everything. Um, hopefully hopefully I get to play. We'll see. Um, it's, it's up and down, so it is what it is. But just if my name gets called, just going out there and playing as hard as I can. Yeah, I was watching last night. What? Why uh, are you getting a lot of playing time and then all of a sudden that, that disappeared? Is Steve Kerr, has he conveyed to you the reason why you're kind of out of the rotation? No, it's a just mostly just um, obviously um, Draymond's back. 
um, Loon, Dario. Um, it's just it's just the pecking order, basically. So I just got to wait my turn. Um, they, they're really high on me, and so um, just have a positive attitude. And sometimes guys get in foul trouble, or um, they like the matchup, and so uh, they'll throw me in there. But um, just always being ready is the biggest thing for me. But overall, yeah, I trust coach. Coach is doing a great job with my development and everything of that nature. And so um, just doing what doing what I need to do. Um, practicing and stuff of that nature and just always being ready. Is it tough to be patient? Uh, definitely different, but um, I think that I've, I've handled it well. Um, yeah, I think overall I've handled it well. It's, it's different. Obviously going from playing at IU, starting every game, playing 30, 35 minutes, to playing maybe 10 to 15 and not playing. Um it is what it is, but um, I'm making the most of it. Um, blessed to be in the situation that I'm in. I thought if Trace Jackson Davis joins us, that that was the best place for you of any of your options coming out of IU. Has it turned out to be that way for you? Was that your belief going in, and is your belief right now justified? No, it, it was. Uh, Golden State was definitely my, my number one where I thought that I fit in the best. Um I love I love Golden State. Um, other teams that I was really high on were uh, Brooklyn, um, Pacers. Um, there's a few other teams. Sacramento. Were you disappointed when the Pacers didn't go at you when they had the opportunity? Um. Yeah. So the thing about that on draft night, my agents actually they were like working behind the scenes, but they didn't tell me anything, and so I was just in the dark and just thinking because. Basically, my slot was 20 to 40. That was where my range was. And so when we got to like 30, I think pick 35, um, my agent shut it down and said that no one can take me unless they offer me a a deal, like a guaranteed deal. And Golden State was the only one that was offering it. And like there was three times where a trade fell through and it started at like 35 and then they finally got it on the last one. So. It, it was what it was, but at the, I was upset, not just at the Pacers, but all the teams that I was talking to. And, um, yeah, but it is what it is. Oh, if I man. Yeah. Golden, yeah. yeah, if I would have known that, then I would have probably been less stressed. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, it worked out great. I mean, it worked out great for you where you are right now. I mean, hell, you get to live in in San Fran. You get to watch, you know, a guy like Steph Curry work his craft. You get to know how you know hard you have to play to maintain yeah. at that level too. I mean, a lot of things that uh, that do you a great deal of service in your rookie season in the NBA. No, absolutely. Just being around, like it's crazy. Like we have four Hall of Famers on our team, like Chris Paul, Steph, Clay. Draymond, they're all going to be on the Hall of Fame. And just being able to watch them work out, being able to talk to them, just pick their brains about basketball, being a sponge, it's not only just going to help me a lot in the long run. Man, I'm so happy for you. Seriously. I absolutely enjoyed your time at IU. And I try to tell everybody that it's unbelievable that as talented as you are, you're an even better dude. <laughs> I mean, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, how many of the uh, CG folks and friends are going to have down there Thursday? There's going to be a lot. Um, I know my mom's side of the family, I got a lot of – she has a lot of – she has like six or seven sisters, and then obviously Kevin. And then um, 
So they'll all be there, and then their family, and then I got friends that have all texted me about coming to the game. And so I just can't wait to see everyone. It's going to be great. That's, uh, I was playing with Kevin last week, and he said, hey, are you going to call Trace? And I said, yeah. You, you Like, now? <laughs> now? He said, yeah, now. Let's call him. So. Nah, man, you got a good group. You really do. Kevin Kevin is honestly one of the best guys ever. So I can see where you got oh, yeah, all that great. from. You've had great he's positive great. impact. Um, but uh, no, we're all very happy for you, man. Seriously. And uh, we get a chance to spend some time, come back and hang out with us. And uh, you, too, can witness once again the greatness of Rick Clark shooting up air balls on Tuesday night in the uh, West Jet. I'm going to I'm gonna have to come for a reunion soon. You want me to shoot some video of that tonight and send it to you? Yeah, you should. <laughs> Hey, buddy. Fantastic job so far. We'll see you on Thursday. And uh, tell everybody around you we said hello, man. Keep on keeping on. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You got it. It's Trace Jackson Davis, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And I'm sure our next guest will, too, regarding the Pacers. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Setting the Pace, Pacers Rockets tonight at the Fieldhouse. Alex Golden is with us. So are you going to be live, local, and late-breaking at Gamebridge Fieldhouse tonight? No, I'll be watching from home, John. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> Good for you. There's no place like, I mean, really, you get to settle in with Chris and Quinn and JJ and Eddie. It just feels like home, right? So it's good. Yeah, it definitely does. And you don't have to worry about how you're dressed either. So you can just be nice and relaxed in the recliner. So, yeah, and then plus, you know, you get the whole bathroom thing, right? So. Yeah, yeah, big big deal. Bathroom thing's a big deal. The older you get, the bath bathroom thing becomes more of a, of a bigger deal. The older that you get. <laughs> hey, did you hear my question regarding uh, streaming service and the one that's about to be launched? That's going to give you know people the opportunity to to get more NFL and NBA. Is there going to become a point in time when those streamers out there are going to view that as the biggest pain as as cable and Direct TV or Dish Network? Once upon a time, yeah. hear them. Yeah, I heard you talking about it. And I think it's interesting because with so many different streaming options, it's like, well, you have to pay 15 for this and 10 for this and 12 for that. By the time you get everything, you're almost paying more than you'd be paying for normal cable. So I think it's kind of chaotic how everything is going. Now, you don't need everything, and that's one thing that is nice if you don't watch like the HBO Max or, or Netflix. You don't have to pay for those. But if you do like watching all that stuff and, and you want to pay for it, then you know it's going to end up costing you like – People that want to watch the Pacers, you got to pay for Valley Sports. That's twenty bucks a month. So, you know, it just it all adds up relatively quickly. And I know cable packages seem to be kind of on their way out, but at this point, I I don't really know what the correct solution is. But we're uh, I think at some point in the next like ten years, we'll probably see just like one big streaming service kind of take over the industry and buy everything. But I, I think we're a ways away from that. 
All right. Well, you did explain it like I'm five. I appreciate that. I didn't really know. So I was, uh, yeah. I, I just kind of view it, and, and I'm dumb because I stay with direct TV just because I'm used to it and it's easy. But the cost is ridiculous how much I pay mm-hmm. for what I watch. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I only watch like two or three different things on a, a daily or a nightly basis, and that's about it. So I, I didn't know mm-hmm. ultimately what is going to be the most cost effective for you, considering how many different streaming services everybody's going to have going here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you can, just get in with a bunch of friends and have everybody pay for one thing and then just share the password for everything, and then you only have to pay for like 25% of what you're actually going to watch, and then you just share passwords. I've done that a few times, and it's uh, benefited my, my billfold, but if I was paying for everything, I would be a poor man. Yeah, well, and I am, too, because I, <laughs> I pay like – I think I pay like 220 a month, seriously, Ooh, for DirecTV. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the biggest dumbass in the world, and I sit there <laughs> – and I watch, I watch Andy Griffith, and I watch basketball, and I watch like Teen Wolf and The Fugitive, like that's it, or anything that may yeah. have some like nudity in it. So that's about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's it. That's all I do. Yeah, I'm just a big yeah. waste of money right here. Anyway, I appreciate you trying to handle that question. I talked to uh, Chad Buchanan last week uh, as they approached the trade deadline, and with a couple of his answers, made it seem like that there was not going to be any activity again after the Siakam deal as we approach that Thursday deadline. Would you agree with that? I think Chad on his, uh, his poker voice, I should say, on, on the call, uh, doing a good job of not really committing to anything one way or the other, which if you've heard Chad talk, he's very good at doing that and talking around uh, what you know what the Pacers are going to do. And I think it's smart. I mean, nobody's going to publicly say anything. I know Rick was on uh, the radio this morning yep. and they asked him about the trades, and he, he kind of walked around it too. Like, nobody's going to come out and say we're making a trade. So. I think that the fact that they have, you know, 14 guys on the roster, James Johnson is on that 10-day contract, that to me indicates that they are still being active to a certain degree just because they have left that roster spot, those roster spots open, and that's not something they've done before in the past. So to me that kind of indicates like, okay, they could be willing to make a move here now. What kind of move is that? It, it might be a small move just to pick up another second-round pick or a future second or something like that. So that that could be more of like how they're looking at this. But I could also see them just uh, really weighing their options here before the deadline and, and try to get a feel for what this team could look like because right now with the Halliburton injury and him just slowly starting to work his way back, they haven't really got a, a large sample size to – at least figure out what this team could look like when fully healthy. Would it concern you more? I've voiced my concern. I, I just don't think at any level you can jeopardize this team's offensive output. I just don't mm-hmm. think that there's a chance it's going to get much better defensively. And everybody knows that. I've, I've talked about that. But would you be more concerned about losing, for example, somebody like Buddy Heald absolutely for nothing or more concerned that at some point he's going to break out of this slump and you're going to need his three-point shooting ability and when you trade him away or if you did you wouldn't have that what most would concern you about that situation yeah i mean to me like i i hate to sound like this but you really do hate the idea of potentially losing him for nothing if you look at this pacers team moving forward with the halliburton extension kicking in whatever they sign pascal siakam to this is going to be a team that's, you know, over the cap, but under the tax. So they're going to be limited in what they can do in terms of trades, and they need bigger contracts like Buddy Hill, who's around $19 million 
on the roster moving forward. So if he walks for nothing, that does kind of hurt your ability to do anything in, in, in terms of, you know, getting a trade done without having to piece together like multiple players that you probably don't want to get rid of. So I think that there is some, you know, there is some fear in that. And I think the Pacers, if they were smart, which they are, I think they'd potentially look for somebody that's got maybe an extra year or two on their deal for around the same amount of money that he's making that, that they could try to acquire to use in a, in a trade for the future. But, you know, I, I do understand your, your buddy Hill point because he is a prolific three-point shooter, has been really good in his career, obviously, this year. It feels like a, a big step down from what he did last year. But also you have to look at the times he's been in and out of the lineup. It's just been really inconsistent for him. And he's still, I think, like 14th in the league and three-pointers made this year. So he's still, you know, doing it at a high clip. He's just not shooting the same percentage number that he was last year. So, yeah, you would miss it, but I don't think it's the end of the world because we've seen how they can still win games without Buddy Hill. And defensively, I just feel like, you know, that they have better options there too. So I don't, I don't think he's a deal-breaker for the Pacers in terms of what they can do because we do know he could break out of this streak at some point or the slump that he's in and go on a hot streak. But – I don't think what he does necessarily is going to move the needle one way or the other for the Pacers. So Alex Golden with us. What are your thoughts on Jalen Smith and his contract and how to deal with him prior to the trade deadline, if at all? Yeah, I, I think Jalen Smith is, is should stay here with the Pacers. I know that there is a player option. He could opt out of that. But it seems to be like he's really grown with this franchise and really seems to like this franchise. And I think he fits in really well. Um his numbers have been pretty good this uh, this past couple of weeks here with Pascal Siakam and how he fits. And if the Pacers, you know, were unwilling to put him in that deal with the Toronto Raptors to keep him here, I think that he has to feel pretty confident about his spot with this team moving forward. It's just going to be coming. It's going to come down to what does that number look like in the off season. But I think that the Pacers will probably just find a way to get him back here because they do value what he does, and I think that. He is kind of similar to Miles where he can spread the floor, shoot the three, uh, protect the rim. I think he's probably an overall better rebounder than Miles Turner, too. Uh, still still think Miles is a notch ahead of him in terms of overall player, but I think that it's very similar to what to what Miles does, and it's nice to have a player that really kind of mirrors what your starter, starting center does, but uh, I, I think the Pacers want to keep him long-term. I personally, as a as someone that covers his team and watches him, I think he's really good for them and what they're trying to do, so uh, yeah, I think that they should not trade Jalen Smith, and I think Jalen Smith should opt out of his player option and then sign a new contract with the Pacers in the offseason. Yeah, and, and the problem you have with that is, I mean, with the three-point shooting ability that we have discovered from him and, and which he has shown certainly on the floor, that uh, that won't be an easy thing to do because there will be yeah. some teams, I'm assuming, because of what he does now, that will throw a lot of money at him. Yeah, it just it just takes one team to give him a Bruce Brown type of offer, right? I don't I don't see a lot of teams doing that for a backup center, but you know I'm I'm not trying to put the car before the horse or anything like that, JMV. But you know next season it's going to come down to what's going to happen with Miles Turner because he's going to be in the last year of his contract, and things are going to get really expensive with the Pascal Siakam contract and with Tyrese Halliburton on that big contract. So I'm kind of curious what the number will be for Miles Turner if they do you know, find an extension for him either this summer or, or next year after the uh, season's over to find another extension for him. I think that's something to monitor. And Jalen Smith's only 23 years old. So they have Isaiah Jackson on the roster too. If for some reason Turner's number just gets outlandish, you have someone that's very similar in how they play. 
backing him up that's 23 years old that I think would fit well with Pascal Siakam and Tyrese moving forward. But like I said, still not at the same level of player as Miles Turner. So uh, how far are we away? We've been without them for really an extended period of time, really over a year since he signed that extension. We've been without mm-hmm. the 33 trade rumors. When will those amp back up again? I would assume at the summer at some point, just knowing he's an expiring. Um, I think that because Pascal said that he wanted to play with Miles Turner because of the way they fit, I think Miles really likes Indiana. So I think that he'll want to stay here. I'm just kind of curious what the Pacers' number will be for him. You know, I, I forget what the number was last year, but I think it was like, I know he's making 22 this year, 21 next year, something like that. And he had like close to 37 last year. So it might have been like a $60 million contract. I can't remember exactly what it was, but. It's uh, it's really interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how much he's expecting to make, but if it's like north of 25 million, is that something the Pacers are willing to do? Maybe so, but it's just they're going to have to operate as a team that's over the cap, but still probably want to stay under that tax. And I think that's where it could get interesting. Yeah. What, what do you think the number is going to be for Siakam? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually had not looked into like what the full max would be for him and how much that would cost. I, I personally don't think they have to do a full max. But I'm not his agent either. So, you know, I just I don't know what other options are going to be out there for him that he's really going to want to go to. Like, Philadelphia is the only team that feels like a legitimate threat. I don't think he wants to play for Detroit or anything like that. Like, he kind of picked Indiana to be here. So, if they could get somewhere, like, around a four-year deal with, like, you know, an option on the fourth year for the player, like, that could be interesting and maybe not make it the full max. That could kind of help them a little bit with, with that, that room standing underneath the tax. But I don't know exactly. I think that it's really going to be interesting to see what the negotiation is on that contract overall. Is it fair to have any returns of thought right now with this short time Pascal Siakam has played here? What, what do you mean by that? Short returns, thoughts, your returns yeah. on your thoughts on uh, watching him play in this short time yeah. he's been here. Is it fair to come to any or draw to any conclusions right now? I, I got you. Yeah, no, I I think it's I think you can say he fits in pretty well. I mean, you d- you definitely want to see more of a sample size with, with him and Tyrese and uh, him and Miles and Tyrese. And, and honestly, the starting five they had in Charlotte, I think that could be their starting five moving forward. This this Pacers team has had not had a lot of, you know, starting five or five-man lineups that have played a lot of possessions together. I think the – I looked it up the other day, and in terms of possession-wise, if you look at – the Pacers bench unit of McConnell, Matherin, Buddy Hield, Obi Toppin, and I believe it was uh, Jalen Smith, maybe Isaiah Jackson. That five-man lineup was like 90th in possessions played this year, and that's the most frequently played, or that's the most uh, played lineup of current players on the team. So they definitely need to get their reps in to kind of get a better feel for what they can be. But just seeing how versatile Pascal is at the three, can play the small ball five, has a little bit of an inside-out game. I think we really saw him be more assertive in that game against Charlotte. We saw him be really assertive against Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. I think he's going to fit in just perfectly fine. So uh, I think it was a great trade. Didn't really give up too, too much for him. And I think he's going to be a great piece moving forward, especially when Tyrese Katopia. They're really going to click, and I, I think it's going to be something special to watch. Alex, did you hear Halliburton mention the fact that the whistle that Siakam has received here in a blue and gold uniform has not equated to the once-received whistle he got north of the border? Did you hear that? <laughs> I did hear that. And it's, and it's kind of funny because I think the Pacers are like, 30th and fouls called for versus fouls, uh, you know, fouls committed, like minus 5.9, something like that is what I saw from StatMuse. So that does say a lot. The Pacers don't get a lot of foul calls and they get called for a lot of fouls. Now, granted, 
this defense early on was so bad they were fouling like crazy. And so that does kind of, you know, tip the scales a little bit. But, yeah, I I definitely think Pascal's not getting the same whistle, which is a little bit interesting. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the blue and gold. It just it turns uh, the officials off to giving us foul calls. I mean, that's a, there's a reason why Rick Carlisle got ejected in that Denver game a few weeks ago. I like the. I love the old woe was me. I I I brought this up, the early stages of development for Doma Sabonis around here. You just remember that kind of transformed him into the after every whistle or lack thereof complainer that we know him to be in Sacramento. Now was the mm-hmm. awful whistle that he got in the early stages of his development here. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you'd look at his arms and he'd have cuts and blood everywhere and get no foul calls. He'd like point to his arm bleeding and tell the official, they're like, oh, it was a clean block. He's like, really? Okay, thanks. You know, and I, I get why he was frustrated. You can tell uh, Matherin is probably one of the best at drawing fouls on this team, but even this year it's taken a bit of a dip and he's constantly looking for foul calls. Now that does wear on me a little bit because it's pretty much every time he drives and misses, he's complaining for a foul. So that's like the boy who cried wolf, but you know, sometimes I feel like you have to do that just to kind of get the ear of the official and, and hopefully they'll pay more attention to it next time and give you the benefit of the doubt. He is Alex Golden of Setting the Pace, talking Pacers, Rockets, Pacers coming up later on tonight. 6.30, your coverage begins. After a bit of a segment of Anything Goes right here on The Fan, uh, you brought up Miles a little bit earlier. I said this last week, and actually once I said it, they ended up shutting him down on Friday. I can't remember. I think it was an ankle, but I know he's been dealing with um, you know, back strain or whatever. I know he works consistently before the games to get him ready um, uh, with the uh, trainers in massaging and, and getting him ready. He, he hasn't looked right to me. And he hasn't looked right since the Embiid game. And I don't. I know he's cleared and he's good to go for tonight. But have you seen the same? Is it more about the back he's dealing with, or more that he looks a little bit out of gas as we approach the All Star break? Yeah, I mean, he did play in the Suns game after the the Sixers game, but he only played I think like close to fourteen, yeah. seventeen minutes, something like that. That was not a shining moment game wise this season <laughs> for him. No. No, and to be fair, it's just not a good matchup being out there with Kevin Durant at the five. Like, that's just not a good matchup for Miles. So that's why you like seeing Pascal be able to play the five. Obi Toppin had a great game there. So, you know, that's that's one game. But then he did not play against Memphis with the back, came back against Boston, and he didn't look too bad against Boston. I thought he played pretty poorly against the Knicks, maybe his worst game of the season. Just really got abused down there down low. And when Rick Carlisle put him back in the fourth quarter, had to, had to pull him out pretty quickly for Jalen Smith, and then he missed the next game Friday, and so did Jalen Smith. So, to me, I felt like Miles has looked a little slow as of late. Um, but even I, I had people ask me at the beginning of the season, like, does Miles look a step slower to you? Does he just not look like he's reacting as quickly? And I, and I kind of understand that because his block numbers are down a little bit, too, in terms of his rotation. It seems like he's a like a half-step slower. But I do know that the wear and tear of like playing so fast and playing so many possessions probably does wear on a bigger body like that. So it, it's probably incredibly hard to keep a seven-foot body in shape to be able to run up and down the court for 30-plus minutes a game, the, the pace the Pacers play at. So I give him a lot of props for how he's kind of transformed his body into being able to, to keep up with that because he definitely did trim down a little bit, got a little bulkier but uh, up top. But he uh, Jalen Smith did the same thing because they were both a little heavier uh, on the lower part of the body. So I think that they've – really try to get their bodies in shape to play this style, to play the Pacers want to play with. So, you know, I just think with Miles, it, it could just be he's ready for the all-star break. 
He's been in the league for nine years. It's a lot of wear and tear on the body. So uh, I, I'm not overly concerned with him. But, yeah, I think that at this point, just kind of pacing himself and not getting himself re-injured is, is huge because this Pacers team is going to really need him Yeah, uh, I, come down to the stretch. I, I just he, – he, to me, in that Knicks game – Looked like until they sat him on the bench in the final three or four minutes or so on the fourth, he he looked like he was in pain. I mean, he looked like yeah. there was something that was paining him, and he was he was. I mean, Hart, Hartenstein has been good against good bigs this season for the Knicks, but Miles didn't look. He looked like he was nailed to the floor. Mm. Yeah, and if you go back and look at how Miles played against Hartenstein. The previous matchup, the day that the Knicks traded OG, or for they traded for OG and Anobi, yeah, I thought Miles actually played really well in that game. So, with him missing the game, the, the the next night against Sacramento with the ankle injury, definitely may have tweaked that during that game. I I'm not sure, but you can definitely tell like the back the back problems probably didn't go away. It's just something he's fighting through, and that could also be part of it. So, uh, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace. What are your thoughts on the Rockets? No Van Vliet later on tonight. I haven't seen any at least updates as far as the Pacers tonight or anybody else for the Rockets. Pacers won that initial meeting in Houston. What are your thoughts about tonight? Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough game. Like, Houston's very defensive-minded with Ime Udoka there. I think that Fred Van Vliet not playing does give them a bit of a break just because he's so good. But, you know, you can't overlook the fact that they have other players that are capable. I mean, Thompson – uh, we'll probably get the starting spot for him. And Amin Thompson, I think he was the fourth overall pick in the draft. You know, a really good athlete. Cam Whitmore, someone that fell in the draft, has really kind of stepped up and played some big minutes. I know Tari Eason is out for the Rockets as well. And Tari Eason was someone that I really liked in his draft class, really good defensive forward uh, that can really cause some problems. But I just think that, you know, this will, this will be an interesting matchup, I think, for Miles too, because Shin Goon is very good with his footwork down low. And I think sometimes those type of bigs have given Miles problems before. So we'll see how he matches up and if he's healthy and good to go. But I think that Houston will be a, be a tough game, but I think Indiana will pull the victory out tonight. All right. Final word here with Alex. Anything done Thursday or remains the same for the Pacers? What's your call? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that they're going to be looking. I, my gut says they're probably just going to stay pat and not make any drastic moves. If they do anything, like I mentioned earlier, it'll be a smaller move maybe to pick up an extra asset, take on a, a contract that fits into their uh, fits into their system. Maybe it's a minimum contract type thing. They're helping facilitate a trade like they did last year with the, with the Nets and the Suns and the Bucks got involved. So I could see them kind of playing part in that. I would be a little bit surprised if they did, a, did end up moving off of Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin, but – uh, Dustin Dopierre just tweeted that Benedict Matherin is out tonight. It's a stomach issue. Yeah, I just saw so that I think too. That, yep. that does play a factor, I think, into how this game plays out. But I still think Indiana gets the win. Man, you go from a toe, you come back, and now you got a stomach bug. Yeah, man, what a bummer. Yeah, and he is... looked really good in Zach, against Sacramento. I mean, that was the good Benedict Matherin that we've seen so far this year. I'm uh, I'm excited to see what he does though. I, I think Matherin is such an interesting player. Uh, overall, JMV, just in terms of how he fits with this roster moving forward, I think he can be like really, really good, and maybe that third guy next to Siakam and Halliburton. But it's just going to take some time. I just I feel like he's got to continue improving on being a more consistent all-around player to really get the full trust from the coaching staff to kind of unleash him and let him be that starting two guard moving forward. You um really quickly before I let you go here, I, I'm not yeah. a big fan of any Wiggins trade rumors with the Pacers, are you? 
Yeah, I'm a little intrigued by it only because, like I mentioned earlier with Buddy Hill's contract, like Wiggins does have a few more years on that deal. And if you can kind of recoup his value, like it, it does make some sense. I know he's not played well in Golden State. Golden State's been a hot mess all season long. I know last year there were some issues with Wiggins missing games, and I think it was family-related. So, you know, he's kind of had an up-and-down year, but we saw what he could do when he reached his max level of play in that NBA Finals for the Warriors. Like, he was the second-best player on that team. So there is still some intrigue. He's still young enough in his prime. The contract's pretty pretty high in, in dollar. I think he's around $24 million this year, but I think his last year is like in 2026 is when he would become a free agent. That's around like $30 million. So it does get a little bit hefty, but I just think about it this way. If you're in a playoff series, who do you trust out there more defensively, Buddy Hield or Andrew Wiggins? And if you can kind of make a deal like that, to me it would be worth the risk a little bit just to see what it's like because I still think you could eventually move off of him the next season if it doesn't work out. So Alex Golden setting the pace. Got something new and fresh up there, I'm assuming, right? Oh, yeah. We just did a, uh, a two-parter podcast on trade ideas. So me and my co-host, Mike Focci, we went back and forth sharing different trade ideas, mostly centered around Buddy Hill and Obi Toppin, uh, just seeing if there was anybody out there, anything out there that we thought, okay, this could make some sense. So nothing like crazy for any stars, but a lot of role-player trades and just trying to See if, you know, we could throw anything at the wall and it would stick. All right. Uh, Alice Golden, check it out. Setting the pace, the podcast. Alex on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Appreciate you, man. Enjoy the game tonight. Hey, thanks, JMV. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Well, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Pro Football Focus took a bit of a hiatus last week. Back in the fold this week. The Our Spielberger guy is back with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It's almost like we missed a month when we miss a week with you. Uh, I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm here in Vegas, so I'll apologize in advance. I tried to find the quietest place I could, but it is Las Vegas. So, where where uh, are you? In where are you the, right now? Yeah, I'm at the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which is where the big convention center, where everything's going down media-wise, players coming through. Um, that, that's the hub of, of the whole operation this week. Have you interviewed anybody else besides doing this interview with us? Oh, yeah, we've been busy. I was on with Ed McCaffrey this morning, actually, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, he does a lot of work with SiriusXM, but – also fun when his son is playing in the big game in a couple days. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's a good find right there for you. So a lot of people have suggested maybe this whole Vegas thing, because it is Vegas, would not be working smoothly. But I would assume because it's Vegas, it would work smoothly. What do you gather yeah, so no, far? Yeah, sorry, good job. Yeah, they know how to handle the big crowds and, and stuff like that. I've been here for some NBA events, summer league, stuff like that as well. So, you have these massive convention centers, and it's, it's actually very well organized. I'll give the league credit, like great security, great, great organization, all these signs everywhere to, you know, you're maneuvering through casinos at 7 in the morning Pacific, uh, you know, smelling cigarette smoke as you're trying to go do your, your job. That part's interesting, but no, they're, they're doing a very good job. <laughs> 
<laughs> you see, it's weird. There was a point in time when I was growing up where you didn't even notice cigarette smoke. And now, if you're within two miles of somebody smoking a cigarette, you know. You're done right. You're done right. I, I'm ready to transition. Where I remember as a kid when you, you no longer could smoke inside, that was when I was, I don't know, maybe early high school days. But, yeah, Vegas uh, is a lawless society, so that has not applied here yet. <laughs> when I, seriously, when I was in high school, they, and this was in the 80s, they would allow you to take a permission slip home for your parents to sign to give you permission to smoke cigarettes at school in this one particular place. And what was so ironic, ridiculous, I don't know how you really want to describe it, was you you were able to smoke in front of the lone Coke machine in the school that they would not turn on until 3 o'clock because they didn't want kids all sugared up. But you were allowed to smoke cigarettes with a permission slip from your parents right in front of that Coke machine. That is, I thought you were going to say it was more of an angle of they wanted you to buy all the Coke products out of the machine. So if you're thirsty, you had a cigarette, now you need a Coke. But, yeah, that is that is quite ironic and, and sounds like the 70s and 80s that I always hear about. Oh, it was a blast. Brad Spielberger, <laughs> Pro Football Focus, is with us. Most interesting aspect as we walk up to the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, storylines, both sides, what interests you the most so far? Yeah, I think at a high level, start with the quarterbacks. So I think two fascinating matchups. You have Nick Bosa, who's going against Juwan Taylor. I set an NFL record this year for penalties taken. Nick Bosa has the second highest quick pressure rate, under two and a half seconds, getting to the quarterback over the last three seasons, trails only Micah Parsons. And on the flip side, Patrick Mahomes has the lowest pressure to sack rate. About 10% of the time when he gets pressured, does he get sacked? It's a phenomenal number for him. So that matchup, and then on the flip side, Brock Purdy this year quietly led the NFL in touchdown passes, yards per attempt, and total passing yards against the Blitz. And Steve Spagnuolo in Kansas City ran the eighth highest Blitz rate in the NFL. They lose Charles Amenahu. They're a pretty good edge rusher in, in the game last week. Are they going to Blitz more? And are the Niners and Brock Purdy going to have the answer like they did all year long? So Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, staked out in Vegas for the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So is Brock Purdy as bad as some would suggest or as good? Certainly it's a great story, but as good as others might profess. Where is he right now in terms of his level of play for the Niners? He might be the most perfect litmus test of how we are incapable of having nuance in NFL discussions. And you're either a first ballot Hall of Famer or you stink. And there's no in between. There's no, you know, middle ground. For me, I think he is between the 11th and 15th best quarterback. I think people that say he's a game manager and, you know, just driving the bus, but he's not part of it are wrong. I think people that say he's a top 10 quarterback are also wrong. I think he is a clear starter, top 12, top 15 type of guy. Um, and the difference is you want to draw from Jimmy Garoppolo is he is a better athlete. He can move around the pocket or scramble. You saw last week against Detroit, 48 rushing yards on those scrambles, which were huge. And a lot of those scenarios picking up first downs on, on second long, third long. And then secondly, he will try to make throws, which of course goes both ways, but Jimmy Garoppolo never, you know, tried to make a, a dangerous throw per se. And you want some of that. You need some of that at times. Purdy will try to throw into tight windows, throw into some double triple coverage, which again, not all the time good, but he will take those risks. And it's led to, you know, look at the Brandon IU catch last week for 50 yards, bouncing off the DB's helmet. You know, that, that's obviously a lucky, you know, example, but, but that's the thing for me. He, he's not a key manager in his style um, just because he's a limited, you know, thrower arm talent wise. So does he make this Niners team 
the Super Bowl contender, the participant that it is, or do others around him with his level of play combined make this team that way? Because it really is a different viewpoint with the Niners than it is basically every other successful team out there. Yeah, it's more the guys around him. But, but again, I think it comes back to, like, you can't be – in today's day and age in the NFL, I don't think you can be a quarterback that's outside the top 15, maybe 20. Um, and you could have, you know, all pros at every other position. And I think eventually it's just going to rear its ugly head. You'll play a good offense in a playoff game, and you just won't be able to stay in. So he is good. But I do think at the same time you have not only the playmakers. First, Kyle Shanahan, one of, if not the best play callers in all of football – uh, maybe ever. Uh, I know he, people. Some people want him to get a ring first to say that, but he's been in you know four NFC Championship games and two Super Bowls for a reason. But but secondly, you have two probably top twenty wide receivers. People do not talk enough about Brandon Ayuk, how good he is. Everyone knows about Debo Samuel. You have maybe the best back in football the last five six years in Christian McCaffrey, and you have the best dual threat tight end blocker and receiver in George Kittle. So yeah, no, it's a loaded team. And how I forget Trent Williams. You know, probably a first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle. So yeah, the team is phenomenal. They're they're so so talented. But Purdy is not dragging them down. He he is elevating them at times. So Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, live in Vegas on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So let's just say the Chiefs run rough shot and win the Super Bowl again. Is there any thought that Andy Reid steps away, or does he continue moving forward down that path of incredible levels of success as a coach in Kansas City? It's interesting. The only that I've seen, you know, kind of voice you're hearing talking about that is Mike Florio, pro football talk. And look, he, he is – at times, a bit of a conspiracy theorist. He also does, though, you know, get out ahead of some stories, and then we look back and say, yeah, you know, Mike was, was on to something there. So I haven't seen anyone else talk about it but him. Look, he's up there in age. I'll say I saw him in person yesterday. He's lost some weight, looks pretty healthy, uh, which maybe is a factor in his decision. I just feel like if you're still enjoying it and, and feel good about it, and you have this team of Patrick Mahomes, I don't see why he would step away. So, look, I don't think he's going to be here forever, but, but I think he'll be back next year. If the Chiefs win this thing, where do they rank after a win all-time organization team-wise? Where would you put them? I think it's the second-best dynasty in the history of the sport, you know, after the New England Patriots. And this is, you know, people will probably be turned off by this if they're a bit older, but I just think it's become so much harder to sustain winning in the NFL. So, of course, I'm a student of the game. I remember the Steelers teams, the Raiders teams, the Niners teams. This is not a knock on those organizations, but just what it takes now to sustain winning. And I think we are a bit kind of, you know, deluded by the Patriots run and how good they were for so long. But you see these teams that make these runs, they make one or two Super Bowls, they win one or two, and that's all they have. Like Seattle was a dominant force. They got one ring out of it. So, you know, I think they really are behind the Patriots, probably the, you know, 01, 03, 04, and maybe, you know, kind of what, 20, what is it, 6, 7, 8, they made three in a row. I think they're right in that conversation. Mahomes will have been to five Super Bowls. He'll have three rings. He'll have made six AFC championship games every single season of his career. Hard to, hard to compete with that. It's funny because we mentioned during the, the Brady-Patriots dynasty that we would never see that again. And, you know, lo and behold, I mean, we're the table set with Mahomes, and you mentioned Andy Reid hanging around, and that particular team, the table is set to see that again. So it is, but the fascinating thing for me is, can they retool, right? I mean, I, I was actually, we were watching some, some 01 highlights, and that roster compared to even the 07 team, the 2011 team, that obviously did not win, but made it Super Bowls, of course, the undefeated regular season team. Um, 
that was a whole different roster. So what's going to be fascinating is, look, Travis Kelsey, 33, 34 years old, that's ancient for a tight end. He, he does not have many years left in this league. Can they find new playmakers? Can they keep the offensive line intact with, you know, the center, Creed Humphrey, could be one of the highest-paid players soon. Their guards are good players. Like, that'll be the next test is this, this second phase where they need new playmakers, new pass protectors. That's going to be fascinating. If they can, then, yeah, they're, they're, they're the Patriots again. But, but that's the real test. What impresses you the most about the 49ers, their offense or their defense? Their offense. Their defense quietly has not been good for about two months now. I think it should be more of a storyline. You've been able to run on them off edge. You can run at Chase Young. He's showed some lackluster effort at times. Um, and on the interior, they signed Javon Hargrave to that massive free agent contract. Still a good interior pass rusher, but he's a guy you can run on as well. Um, and the secondary, they don't really prioritize it. So, Traverius Ward, a good player in a revenge game against his former Kansas City Chiefs. But it's a good secondary. It's not a great secondary, really, at any position. Um, to me, it's the offense, where they can now win in a different, different style. They can go kind of high pass rate. They, of course, can bleed clock and run down your throat for you know, these 10-play, 80-yard drives that take up eight minutes of game time. It's just the different ways in which they win. Kyle Shanahan is always changing and adapting. You see a ton of outside zone, under center. You see more shotgun. Like he's just always adding wrinkles to his offense. Who is their most valuable offensive player in terms of winning games? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think it's hard to argue with Debo Samuel. Um, you know, Kittle's probably a, a safe answer as well, just because of what he brings in both facets. But what Debo Samuel enables them to do is, is the interchangeability with him and Christian McCaffrey, where when they're out there together, they can both be in the backfield, they can both be in the slot, they can both be out wide. You can motion those guys. You can just do so much when they're both out there that defenses really have no idea what they're looking at. And you saw when he missed time this year was when they had their three-game skid, um, you know, the middle of the season. He just It's a guy you have to account for on every single snap because if you don't, he's going to break off a 70-yard touchdown, force some missed tackles. He was phenomenal against Detroit. I think he's a guy just like – he has a gravity to him where when he's out there, it elevates every other player in that offense. So Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what's your call coming up on Sunday in Vegas? I think the main thing for me is we're going to see points, points, points. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I love the Chiefs defense, I do, but you can also run on them a bit, and I think you are going to see them struggle a bit to defend that run. Um, and then you can attack them over the middle of the field a little bit. We saw Nick Bolton was in coverage on Zay Flowers a bunch last week, and it did not go particularly well. So I just mentioned Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. I think they're going to have a pretty high target share. And the flip side, the Niners defense is still a good unit. Don't get me wrong, but you can score on them. But look at their numbers the last two months, and they have, they have not been that good on that side of the ball. So final score, I'm going to go 31-24 Kansas City uh, with, a, with a late touchdown. But I think the main thing is they're going to move the ball in this game. Hey, Brad, we're constantly looking for, at least around here, a diva elite-level wide receiver that has be- become disgruntled in their present position and wants to do something to get out. Is there anybody in, that is nearing or in that territory right now that we can talk about around here? So I, I won't say diva or anything like that, but I do think just because we're talking Super Bowl, the Brandon Ayuk situation is fascinating. I, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league, and I know he's a known player, but I think he's like really a top 20, top 15 receiver. What's interesting with him is they've already paid Debo. They're paying Christian McCaffrey. They're paying Trent Williams, George Kittle, you know, Fred Warner on defense, Nick Bosa, yada, yada, yada. Can they now step up again and pay him, I don't know, $24, $25 million a year on top of all of their big contracts? 
maybe if they feel they can't, they're willing to trade him for a massive, massive haul, try to get younger, get cheaper. So I don't think he's going to push his way out. I, I doubt he wants to push his way out. But that one, it might be a pipe dream, but, but that is a fascinating situation for me to watch. And, and he would be a great element to, to bring to Indianapolis, wins in different ways, one of the best route runners in the NFL, good after the catch of the ball in his hands. Um, good ball tracker, good footwork, good the sideline. He he would really elevate that offense. 75 catches, I believe. I, he went, uh, what did he go, well over like uh, 1,300 yards, I think, right, this past season too, did he not? Yeah. 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 And receiving? There was a, yeah, there was a stretch through week eight where he had, I think he only had one catch that wasn't a first down through the first like two months of the season. <laughs> Man. That gets us all excited. See, because yesterday I was talking to Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com, and he had a story regarding Stefan Diggs. Um, I don't know if that went anywhere or not. I don't even know. Like To me, when you look at a guy like Stefan Diggs, we'll look at him like just in general right here. Is he a guy that his, – is his value at all um, undermined by what has transpired personality-wise with him in Buffalo the past couple of years? Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, whenever you're complaining about playing with, I don't know, probably the second best quarterback in the NFL, whether you're complaining or not, or just putting out cryptic <laughs> messages, or your brother is tweeting out, like, free this man. And again, he doesn't control his brother. But, you know, whenever that stuff's happening, and it's like, how much better can it get than playing with Josh Allen? Maybe Patrick Mahomes, that's probably it. So maybe. The thing with him is the financial situation is a disaster for uh, Buffalo if they have to move on. Like, it's almost untenable given their cap situation. So I don't know how they would navigate it. They have a massive, massive dead cap hit. He's going to be 30 years old, I want to say, next year. And he also kind of fell off a cliff the last two months of this season. They kind of phased him out of the offense a little bit. They ran the ball a lot more. But, but he wasn't even all that impressive the last couple months. Hey, what's going to happen with offensive guru Eric Bieniemy? Uh, that's a good question. I, there really is not a lot of conversation about it. I, I imagine he becomes a you know, senior offensive advisor or something like that maybe a run game coordinator, an RB's coach, with a, you know, somebody's connected to, maybe go back to Kansas City, I don't know. But I think the, you know, why is Eric Bannemi not a head coach storyline, I think is, is no longer really something we're going to hear a lot about. I just, I'm curious, is, is this just simply put a, a product of the environment that certainly hasn't worked out for him when he's been given an individual responsibility, I guess, with a different team playing in in Washington. I mean, you make an argument. They're not even in the, the neighborhood, the zip code, of having the weapons and the offense that they have in Kansas City. How would you describe him as an offensive coach right now? Yeah, so it's interesting. He has the run game and then running backs a foundation, but also at the highest pass rate in the NFL this past year in Washington. I think he does have good route concepts, can, can get guys open, um, can manufacture touches for guys lower on the depth chart so he doesn't just rely on the top weapons and spread the ball around. Granted, the thing with him, to kind of bring our conversation full circle here, he is viewed as this like very hard-nosed, tough, old-school coach. He had commanders players kind of saying he was – kind of like holding everyone accountable and, and really I'm not pissing them off, but kind of like rubbing them the wrong way. You hear it in Kansas City, they kind of now said this year, they kind of missed that element of really being a hard-nosed, tough guy. I think some teams might think, you know what, it, it, with Gen Z athletes coming up in the NFL, that style just might not really work anymore, which isn't his fault. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's what they were all looking for. But the Mike McDaniel, I mean, he's unique. But, but kind of the more – forward-thinking, progressive, positive reinforcement, not negative reinforcement. Like, I think that's where the league is going. 
It's Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Before I let you go, I want to get to the Eagles opening up in Sao Paulo uh, coming up, um, uh, yeah, but what, September of 2024. Uh, that's where they're going to open up in Brazil. I don't know who they're going to play. Maybe you do. We'll talk about that. But Nick Sirianni, obviously here as an offensive coordinator once upon a time, was that kind of an ultimatum? organizationally speaking, that you you got to punt these coordinators uh, to make this right because you're next. What's going on in Philly there? Yeah, I think to a degree it was because it's actually interesting. We had the same scenario. When Doug Peterson got fired, there was the same story that came out where Doug is going to submit a list of potential coordinator hires. And what happened with him was, I guess he did that. We didn't hear who was on the list or what the ideas were. But then a week later, two weeks later, he just got fired. So maybe his list wasn't as good as uh, you know, Vic Fangio and, and Kellen Moore. So Sirianni said, hey, I still have really talented, qualified people that want to work for me, work with me. So then maybe, you know, kept his job for, for next year at least. Um, but I think they will have a long runway. Uh, you know, the guy made a Super Bowl, one, started off 10-1 and one this year. Yes, it finished very ugly. Um, but I think they'll give him some time to kind of right the ship, uh, transition to a new phase. A lot of veteran players may be on the way out. Um, and I'll, I have no idea who they're playing in Sao Paulo. I didn't even know that was happening until you just told me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I didn't know it was. I, it, it surprises me that they open up there. But uh, I don't think they've had an international game since 2018 from what they said. I, I'm just kind of curious if that was going to be an NFC East game or it'll be something a little bit different right there. That's that, To me, that's difficult to start out the season doing that. That's all, It almost seems a little bit deflating to me. It's interesting, too, because I think the elevation there is going to be very, very different than any, you know, mile high. It probably isn't even close to what that could be in Sao Paulo. Uh, yeah, it probably is tough. Like at the same time, maybe you say, you know, it's week one. You go maybe go two weeks early and kind of, you know, get adjusted, yeah. get ready for it. But, yeah, week, week two is going to be interesting. <laughs> All right, it's Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus in Vegas. What are you writing about, who you're going to talk to? Because clearly you're a hell of a lot cooler than any of us around here right now. <laughs> I don't know about all that. but uh, So I, I just put out yesterday the, the landing spots for free agent running backs and tight ends. Uh, and then tomorrow should be the pending free agent offensive linemen and some fits for them schematically, stuff like that. So we'll flip over to the defensive side of the ball next week. Uh, we'll keep adding names to our free agent list. Uh, so all, all things offseason for me. All right, so next Tuesday we're going – we'll do recap of the Super Bowl, but start getting all in on free agency around here, right? Sounds great to me. All right, Brad, man, have a great week and weekend in Vegas. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Greg Rakestraw joins us. So are you able to give it an effort? Are you able to solidify a conversation to me that right now the Sycamores could get in as an at-large, would not necessarily have to win the Mo Valley Conference Tournament? Are you ready to say that? 
I think if they went out the regular season, John, I think they're in just because they do not have anything that constitutes a bad loss. You know, Alabama is not what they have been. Michigan State is not what they have been. Uh, but they're both certainly in the tournament conversation. Michigan State's case, they're the right side of the bubble at this point. Losing at Drake is not a bad loss. You know, I cited what their net ranking was last week. And, you know, I, it Mike DeCourcy of, of the various bracket experts, let me flipping through, I think he had them as like an eight or nine seed uh, right now, which tells me that you don't necessarily have to have that automatic qualifier. So uh, to use it in Jim Caldwell ease, they are trending in the right direction, John. So I had DeCourcy on yesterday and had to gripe at him because in his bracket forecast, he actually had Indiana State playing Florida Atlantic. So I had to get pissy about that. <laughs> you can't tug at John's heartstrings like that. <laughs> Come Although, on, man. the way you could look at it would be that guaranteed uh-huh. something that you're passionate about would advance the second round. That's yeah. the way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, he too. tried to pass that bull crap along to me yesterday, too, sorry. and I wasn't having it. Very so. political answer. My bad. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Um, So – you think that they can, if they went out in the regular season, solidify their spot as that large? That's okay. Butler's on the road against UConn. Is this a you upset UConn on the road tonight? Then, unless you absolutely lose out or fall flat, you're good to go for the tournament. I think you're heading in that direction. But again, this is this is a found money game. Uh, you and I talked about this last week. If you could find a way to get one of Creighton or UConn, you were going to be looking a whole lot better. Um, I, I, I study various bracketologists, John, this time of year. So I know that Joe Lunardi had them as first four out before um, before playing Creighton. And so that road win is, again, golden for Thad Modest team. So, yes, tonight would be a quantum leap forward if you somehow beat the number one team in the country. But, again, because you're, beat, you're playing the number one team in the country, I don't think there's any sort of – this is by no means a bad loss. There's no pressure on this game. You win it great. If not – you still got plenty of air and opportunity if you're Thad Modest group. I was so impressed on Friday night with their win over Creighton on the road. I mean, that's one thing, but they had a lot of weird things happen down the stretch, trying to inbound the ball and things not going right. And um, obviously uh, Davis, you know, getting his eye cut and having to go out. And then you had uh, Kapke come in having to knock down a couple of free throws. Some weirdness that normally gives the advantage to the home team of those situations that Butler ultimately overcame. They just never flinched. And we can talk about the you know mathematical impacts of the win in terms of the resume, but I think you cite a very important point. That's something you can tap into that reservoir for the rest of the year. When things aren't going your way, you know that in as, as hostile of environment as the Big East has, without having you know the fully stacked deck of cards for the Bulldogs, they found a way to get the job done. So I... I, I think that goes miles mathematically and mentally for that basketball team. So Greg Rakestraw, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So IU embarrassed itself on Saturday at home against Penn State. Let's just face it, in the past month plus, Ohio State's been an absolute disaster, a mess. And while Mike Woodson's seat may be hot in the court of public opinion with IU fans, he's not going to go anywhere at the end of this year. Chris Holtman, on the other hand, he's backing up a season of disappointment last year with yet another one. What may be in the cards in Columbus for their head coach? Uh, I would tend to agree that if they don't write the ship, they're probably going in a different direction. Uh, And and that's nothing against Chris. I'm a big fan of Chris as both a person as a coach. 
But again, uh, you have back-to-back rough years, and you see one kind of, you know, start to to roll down the hill. You know, they've got the money at Ohio State to eat a contract and move on and find somebody else. And again, because they've got so many seats to fill in that building, um, maybe there's a little more pressure on the basketball coach there than you normally think there would be in a place that is a football school. So uh, do I think either Indiana or Ohio State's going to be in the NCAA tournament? No. Does tonight have the feeling of an elimination game from the NCAA tournament? Yeah, it kind of does. But, yeah, I would agree. I think there's a little more pressure on Chris Holman than, say, Mike Woodson going into it. Yeah, and and I looked at it this way with Woodson. I think that there is a spot in which he's in right now that only a high level of winning next year that I think a lot of people are skeptical about getting from this IU basketball program. I think that's the only thing he can do to ever turn this fan base around because, to me, it is a large percentage that have just kind of gone away and thought, all right, this is what it is going to be right now and don't have too much hope. That's why I described it as a hot seat, even though it's a hot seat without him going anywhere at the end of the year. The worst thing that you can have is apathy. Um and and we've talked about that at various times over the years. If if people stop if people stop calling and complaining, that's a bad sign. Um, and you've got obviously what Purdue has done from a regular season standpoint the last three years. You have a revitalized Pacers organization. You have the Colts that had a well, well a, a difficult finish, a better year than expected. Um, you're going to start to lose your grip a little bit in terms of the local sports scene. That is a big-time problem. Um, that would be my major concern now if I'm, if I'm Scott Dolson and company. He's uh, Greg Rakestraw. I'm sure has a busy week and weekend we'll get into in a second. But your impression on the Boilers, I know in a lot of ways they're doing what we expect them to do. But that also doesn't mean it's without an impression that you set. And I thought Sunday in Madison was one of those impressions that maybe you don't value enough because that's the level of expectation. But they went the way they went about it was very professional, I felt, on Sunday. Yep. That's a good way to describe it. And I, and I think there's two or three things that have some carryover from that win. One, you won't find a, a, a tougher place to win this year than winning at Madison. In other words, combination of atmosphere and team, that, that's the best you're going to face in terms of road games this year. Secondarily, you saw the progression of Braden Smith, even if there were a couple of miscues at the end of the game. You saw the kind of the plays they ran, the shots that he hit, um, kind of the, the, just the general basketball IQ that has improved from his freshman year to his sophomore year. They were able to win a, a big-time road game with Zach Eady not having a dominant performance. And, and that's how ridiculously high the bar is set for him. He had 18 and 13. He was 7 of 13 from the field. And we go, they didn't play all that well. That's how, again, stupid good he's been the last couple of years. And I said this in talking to Jake Query earlier today, that, you know, there's, there's just a touch of Jaden Ivey and Lance Jones's game. He's not asked to do the same things. But there's a couple of plays every game that he makes where he's just kind of like, screw it, I got this, I'm going to take care of this, and he did. Think about that late three against Arizona. Think about the layup and a, and a second-half three he made in this game. You add all those things up, and again, all of the factors are there pointing in the right direction for Purdue. 
It's just a matter of can you get the job done by the time we get to March 22nd because kind of get the feeling that's where Purdue's going to start their postseason path will be at Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Friday, March 22nd. I just think about it like this, too. If anybody wants to make the comparison to their first-round loss in Columbus last year and you saw – and I know that you have another year on their backcourt with, with Lawyer and Smith, but you saw a lot of dudes in that late-game situation looking like they didn't want a part of that late game situation. Lance Jones is somebody that does not look like whatever the situation is, that he would not attack it just like we've seen so far. And I think that's what kind of what makes the way the season ended in 22 all the more disappointing is that, you know, you had that guy that could take over late in terms of Jaden Ivey. Maybe Zach Eady's not the player, that, you know, then that he is now. But that's why you felt you had that because he had that knack for hitting all of those late shots throughout the course of that regular season leading up to the postseason, and it's kind of went away on one night against a 15 seed. So, Greg, great straw with us. So, what do you got later on this week? You doing any of the uh, girls' regionals? How, what They go regional, semi-state. I, I kind of forget the, the path now is, is what they that have. Is, that is the path. The only thing that changed is that we are back to what it was the first couple of years of, of, of the multi-class format. One game regional, two games at one site. And then you play a four-game semi-state. So um, I'll okay. have on the boys' side Friday night Ben Davis and Lawrence North. On the girls' side, I'll do both games at Decatur Central. Uh, the, the second one, the Pike Plainfield game, will go to my Indy TV. So TV for me both Friday night and Saturday night this weekend. Part of the big story um, really on Saturday night was a good amount of upsets across the state. So whether it was North Knox, who after beating South Knox, got beat by Linton Stock down in 2A, those are the top two teams in the state, and both of them, neither one of them made the regional round. You had other upsets like that in, in various different sectionals. I mean, not necessarily a top-ranked team, because Lawrence Central won their first sectional in 37 years. They're number one in 4A. My beloved Eagles did not get upset. They are number one in 1A and still playing. They go back to West North. They got to Crawford County for the regional this weekend. So we are at the regional round of the tournament, and 32 teams will advance to the semi-state the following Saturday at eight different sites across the state of Indiana. So I, I'm taking Laney down to Bedford because uh, CG yep. and uh, Jeff Allen's Bedford North Lawrence Stars, the defending champions, match up in that regional. And the thing is, is that you know Bedford shouldn't view it that way, but you could view Bedford as the defending champs beating Jennings County as an upset. Yeah. Jennings County thumped Bedford North Lawrence on January the third, which ended a 25 game losing streak that JC had had to BNL, and BNL came back and got him in the sectional championship by four days. Yeah, it's funny. I you mentioned North Knox in closing here. There was a time I can't remember how long ago it was. Remember Tom Gugliotta? In the NBA? Absolutely. And he had family from Bicknell, correct? He did. Tom Gugliotta had family in Bicknell. So I believe some Gugliottas played high school basketball at North Knox. That was always kind of a a weird – you saw that name, which – you, you never had seen other than, you know, what, North Carolina State in college and then in the NBA with the Washington Wizards, then the Washington Bullets, whatever, and then all of a sudden you see that name pop up again in Bicknell, Indiana. It was interesting. I'm not sure, though, if his cousin had the matching barbed wire tattoo that Tom had that was circa <laughs> 1996 in his T-Wolves days. Did he, uh, was he a part of the NC State team when they tried out those, like, Una? 
uh, what are they? The, the uniform, they just the whole uniform was just like one piece, like the old, like the old spandex. Yes, uniform? it was like a, it was just like a one piece uniform. It was awful. I, I thankfully, John, can say I I vividly don't remember <laughs> that. It's probably good for everybody involved. I just remember Fire and Ice in the backcourt wore that uniform once. Remember who Fire and Ice was? No, help me. Chris Corciani. Was Corciani a part of that? Okay, who was the other one? There? Rodney Monroe, I believe, was the ice oh. part of Fire and Ice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Learn a little something every day on this show, don't you? Yes, which is why I call in every Tuesday <laughs> so I can be schooled in the ways of Fire and Ice from JMB. And let's also make sure we make a note of the fact you called in Saturday night and requested MC Hammer before he was ostracized by basically everybody, including the music community and especially the hip-hop community. Before that, there was Turn This Mother Out. He was MC Hammer and got a lot of respect then. And then Can't Touch This made him a lot of money, but got him a lot of hate as well. That was the last time yep. I think he was uh, mutually respected by the hip-hop community. John, you got to remember, and this is switching genres, but at the end of Behind the Music, Metallica, Lars Ulrich, when asked if he sold out, he says, yes, we do, every night. And that line probably applied to MC Hammer about a three or four year stretch of time as well. 1988, he, uh, 88, 89, he, he turned the mother out, though, and got some respect. Which is why you turned it out on Saturday night for me on B1057. And for that, I'm grateful. Indeed, I did. I appreciate you, man. We'll do it again next week. All right. Now, the big story is going to be are we celebrating Valentine's Day this Saturday on the show? Or is it the following Saturday on the nah, show? I'll probably push it in a little bit this weekend. So, yeah, we'll do – I mean, there'll be a lot of – like Mike Wells will love to listen to it. I'm sure there'll be a lot of hip-hop slow jams. So, yeah. So it is a slide it in right to the top Saturday night. It'll be a night of Hean and Sheehan. So, yes. I, I, I got my playlist ready for it. I'll be talking to you soon. You got it, buddy. Thanks, Greg. See ya. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.